This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Emmanuel Macron, the French president, is fighting to keep his parliamentary majority after the first round of voting in legislative elections on June 12th. His centrist alliance, Ensemble, came in neck and neck nationally with Jean-Luc Mélenchon's radical left grouping, NUPES. A final runoff vote will be held on June 19th. Amnesty International accused Russia of committing war crimes in Ukraine. The NGO said it had proof that Russian forces killed hundreds of civilians in Kharkiv through indiscriminate shelling and the use of cluster munitions, which violates international conventions. Meanwhile, Russia destroyed the last remaining bridge linking besieged Severodonetsk to another city in eastern Ukraine, rendering the evacuation of civilians all but impossible, a Ukrainian official said. Celsius Network, an American cryptocurrency lender, blocked all withdrawals from its platform, sending the price of cryptocurrencies sliding. Bitcoin, the world's biggest token, reached an 18-month low. Binance, the biggest crypto exchange, froze withdrawals of the coin. Cryptocurrencies had already suffered a bruising fall last month. A key witness in the House of Representatives hearings on the Capitol riot of January 6, 2021, pulled out shortly before he was due to appear, citing a, quote, family emergency. Bill Stapien was Donald Trump's campaign manager at the time. He was reluctant to testify, but reportedly did not want to flout a subpoena to appear. The Brazilian police and local rescue teams dismissed reports that two bodies were found in the search for Dom Phillips, a British journalist, and Bruno Pereira, an expert on Brazil's indigenous tribes. The pair were reported missing in a remote region of the Amazon on June 5th. They had recently received threats for their work in the area, which is plagued by drug traffickers and illegal fishing, deforestation, and mining. Police in India waded deeper into its sectarian unrest. Last week, Indian Muslims started protesting against derogatory remarks about the Prophet Muhammad made by representatives of the ruling Bhatia Janata Party after foreign governments complained. Police killed two teenagers during clashes on Friday. At the weekend, the BJP-led state of Uttar Pradesh demolished the homes of Muslims alleged to have organized the demonstrations. Ireland's foreign minister, Simon Coveney, attacked the British government's plan to publish draft legislation on Monday that would give it the power to change the Northern Ireland Protocol, part of the Brexit Treaty. He told his British counterpart, Liz Truss, that it would be, quote, deeply damaging to relationships on these islands and between the UK and EU. Fact of the day, 47%. The turnout in the first round of France's legislative election, the lowest ever. And correction. In Sunday's edition, we ran an article about the mayoral election in Palermo, stating that the winner, quote, will control the distribution of national and EU money on the island. In fact, it is the regional government that controls the distribution of these funds, while the mayor will have an influence over what is spent in Palermo itself. Sorry. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Macron mollifies Eastern Europe. Emmanuel Macron will leave his electoral worries at home today. 
A tight first-round parliamentary vote on Sunday suggested that the French president's alliance, Ensemble, may lose its majority in the runoff on June 19th. But Mr. Macron's focus is elsewhere as he embarks on a two-day trip to Romania and Moldova. He hopes to show Central and Eastern Europe, and above all Ukraine, that they have his support. The president's recent comments about the need not to, quote, humiliate Russia have raised doubts about his intentions in the region. He will visit the 500 French troops participating in a NATO operation in Romania, hoping to remind the region that his country is contributing to its defense. Mr. Macron's aides have tried to make it clear that, quote, France wants Ukraine to win the war. A presidential visit to the country soon, which is a possibility, would make that point clearer still. Britain flies asylum seekers to Rwanda. In April, Britain struck a deal with Rwanda to send asylum seekers on a one-way trip to the African country without hearing their claims. Today, a plane carrying the first of them will leave Britain. Rwanda will decide whether to grant them asylum. Britain's Home Office claims this will drive people smugglers out of business by deterring migrants from crossing the English Channel in dangerous boats. More than 28,000 people made the trip last year. At least 44 disappeared, probably drowned. But refugees could be unsafe in Rwanda, which is poor and authoritarian. Critics say the policy is inhumane and illegal. They wanted flights grounded until a review in July, but on Monday, a last-ditch attempt to stop the departure failed. Other countries may soon follow Britain's lead. The refugee system could become one in which rich countries buy their way out of responsibility. Watching Europe's Economy The Eurozone's economy is in a bind. Inflation keeps rising. The bloc's economies are getting weaker as a result. Last week, the European Central Bank said it would raise interest rates this year. Though justified, it could revive an old problem, the solvency of highly indebted countries, specifically Italy. This week's finance geeks will watch two numbers closely. The German Zoo Index, which gauges the mood in the country's financial markets, is released on Tuesday. It will suggest how Europe's largest economy might perform over the coming months. The other is the spread between Italian and German government bonds, that is, the difference between interest rates on each. The gap has increased from around 1.3 percentage points at the start of the year to 2.4, indicating that investors perceive Italian debt to be the higher risk. The ECB is considering whether a new program to contain the widening is needed. Markets may force an answer. Southern Baptists and Sexual Abuse On Tuesday, the Southern Baptist Convention begins its annual meeting in Anaheim, California, in crisis. For years, America's biggest Protestant denomination faced down allegations that sexual abuse was rife within its congregations. Last month, an independent report found many such allegations to be true and concluded that church leaders had repeatedly played them down and denigrated victims. Three former Southern Baptist presidents were among the accused. One, Johnny Hunt, subsequently denied he had attacked a fellow pastor's wife, but admitted to a, quote, personal sin and resigned as head of domestic evangelism. 
In Anaheim, more than 8,000 messengers from the denomination's constituent churches will elect a new president and debate what action, if any, to take in response. A church task force recommends spending an initial $3 million on a public database of abuse allegations and extensive training of Southern Baptist officers. It has met resistance. Some say it would infringe the constituent church's autonomy. The Art of Representation Sir Thomas Brock, a sculptor, knew Queen Victoria's face well. His profile of the monarch appeared on coins, his marble cast of her likeness stands outside Buckingham Palace. A second marble statue, presented to the city of Birmingham in 1901, will be reborn on Tuesday. Today, that likeness, recast in bronze in 1951, stands in its main square. Hugh Locke, a Guyanese-British artist, was commissioned to rework it temporarily in anticipation of the Commonwealth Games, which Birmingham will host this summer. Mr. Locke has constructed a ship around the Queen, adding five smaller busts of her clad in gold helmets. The new work, titled Foreign Exchange, is a reminder of the monarch's colonial legacy and links the people of Birmingham with Commonwealth countries. For two decades, Mr. Locke has explored methods of updating historical monuments. His statue dressing is one solution to Britain's fraught debate about whom statues should commemorate in the 21st century. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. Who was the second longest serving Indian prime minister to date? surpassed only by her father. Monday. Which Hollywood star's last appearance was in The Killers in 1964, shortly before he started a new career? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Harry Turtledove, who was born on this day in 1949. Fiction has to be plausible. All history has to do is happen. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. <laughs>